day everyone, you're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 119, Why Not Live in the Past? I'm your host Alex, and today I have the honor to have Nichelle as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. And sorry I said your name like that. I'm French, and I just saw it, and I pronounced it the French way. What is the correct way to pronounce your name? I'm pretty sure that's the correct way to pronounce my name. <laughs> Perfect. Whether I pronounce it like that or not is a whole different thing. <laughs> no, it's it's Nichelle. It's just like Michelle, only with an N. Okay, perfect. Nichelle. Perfect. I'll add mm-hmm. that. Well, I say I add that, but I'll keep that as is. Perfect. And today we're going to be talking about your hobby of medieval recreation. But before we do that, who is Nichelle? I uh, work in finance and I have since about 1989. So very corporate, buttoned up, professional environment. And uh, a mom, I, uh, my ex-husband and I, back when we were married, adopted a couple of brothers and have been raising them for... 12 years, 14 years. Oh my gosh. 14 years now. Yeah. They're 16 and 14. So some of, you know, my Parado's work, if I may say myself, and that's about it. I am also a podcaster. I do a a book review, very not safe for work book review for romance novels with a few of my friends called Rotten Romance. And uh, that's probably most of what's consuming my life these days. You sound like a really good down-to-earth person, and that's pretty cool. And I'm sure uh, your kids really like your podcast as well. It, do they listen to it, or you can't show them to them yet because it's uh, <laughs> not safe for work? <laughs> they do because they're teenagers, but I get a lot of, Mom, oh my God, Mom. Mom, I can't believe you said that. I get, yeah. I can feel that would be the same for me once my kid, and once I have a kid, uh, listens to this podcast. Like, Dad, why'd you ask this question? Oh my goodness, you're embarrassing <laughs> so me. embarrassing. I wasn't even born yet, but you're embarrassing me. <laughs> But today it's not about my baby, it's about your baby as the hobby itself, medieval recreation. But before we jump into that, you mentioned the podcast, but do you have any other social media links, websites, projects that you'd love to share? Uh, mostly, actually, RottenRomancePodcast.com would provide all of those links because the rest of it I just don't really know how to use. So <laughs> i leave that to the other girls. But, you know, the website will get you there. That gets you to episodes and to all of our other contact information where people can click on it and tell us we're pretty because that's the rule. <laughs> if you listen to the podcast, you have to give, leave us a rating and you have to tell us we're pretty. You're very pretty. Your voice sounds pretty. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> You're already with the program. Yes. Yes. And we're friends already. So it's automatically <laughs> we're both very pretty people. <laughs> right? Beautiful people doing our podcast without visuals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just the audio. We're pretty by voice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And today we're going to be talking about your podcast, not your, sorry, not your podcast, your hobby of medieval recreation. Uh, So what is that exactly for people who might not know what it is? There are a lot of groups throughout the entire world that celebrate particular cultures, particular eras, and will recreate some very, very specific things. For example, someone might want to recreate the Court of Louis Fourteenth, or someone may be really into samurai culture, etc. The group that I'm in, which is called the SCA, I'm not really sure if I should talk about that because I'm not a legal representative of theirs. It's an entire organization dedicated on the studies and research from basically prehistory to about the end of the Elizabethan era. Generally, Western European, though, Eastern European guests and Asian guests are considered acceptable. And really, it's um, for for me, it's more about like the arts and science of it. So it's just that, you know, digging and digging and digging into the research to recreate an outfit, um, the food, some of the arts. So it's, it's not specific to 
hey, we're at the court of Henry VIII right now and we're pretending to be these characters. It's 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 self-expression. Okay. And how did you actually get introduced to it? Did you uh, – was it like back in high school or elementary school or, or university, college or anything like that? that you in book? <laughs> it was worse. It was my nerdy parents. My nerdy parents were um, – yeah, it was Mother's Day. I think I was six months old. And it was around this time, um, actually around Mother's Day, that they – we're reading the newspaper. I guess they were kind of bored or whatever. And there was uh, an event in a park that was really nearby where they were. And they said, we should go check this out. And they did. And it was in the really early kind of amoebic stages of the organization. And the first couple of years of it, very small and have been in it ever since. That was really cool. And do they still do it to this day? Um, my, well, yeah, my dad passed away a few years ago, but he was at least peripherally involved still up until then. And my mom is still definitely involved. Well, my condolences for your dad's passing, but it's cool to hear that your mom is still into it. And then you guys can share that hobby together. We do. We, we complain about it together all the time. Wait, when you say complain <laughs> about it, do you mean like you both have like strong positions on something, <laughs> let's say a debate, a friendly family debate on what certain things could be? <laughs> we do. We, and my brother is in it as well. So we have, you know, and all of us have different views, different things that we find important about it and um, different things that will occur in the organization structurally or locally. There's always, you know, it's a huge organization. There's like 60,000 plus people. Wow. Um, in this organization, it's worldwide. And so there's and there's a like a rank and file type structure and that's very organized. And so as it evolves and as things change, there will be, you know, we all have different feelings about how things should be, especially when it affects our own hobbies. And so, it's, uh, yeah, we'll talk about it a lot. And uh, so we've talked about this a little bit before the interview, but this is, I wouldn't say necessarily similar, but there's an aspect of LARPing as well. And you're telling me about how that can be also different from medieval recreation. Yeah. I mean, I think there's different reasons for joining an organization like this where you kind of from stem to stern could be as deeply or as loosely involved as you like. LARPing in general, and I've, I've done LARP games with friends LARPing in general, you pick a character and you kind of have made up crafts like you can roll dice or you can whatever your scope is for your game. And you can say, I'm a wizard and I cast spells and I do this and I do that. Right. And so that's kind of LARPing in the organization that I'm in. If I want to be a master cook, I have to learn to cook. And I have to be recognized as a master cook from the other people in the organization who are the master cooks before me? And they have to kind of accept that, encourage our local leadership to recognize me as that. And then they would have to decide to recognize me. So that's where it's a little bit more intensive than LARPing because I don't get to just like proclaim myself as having a skill. I have to learn and express that skill. So on that note, if you don't mind me asking, what is your skill that you've mastered? Uh, well, cooking was a fallback for me. So I'll just go mm. with the cooking. So largely cooking, I don't know that I've mastered it yet, but it's something that I've certainly um, practiced and experienced on a pretty large scale. But I've also learned calligraphy and illumination. These are things I've been doing for years, costuming, embroidery. I've done a little bit of everything. Largely, I'm actually a big administrative support person, and I have been recognized as mastery in that particular skill. And um, throwing, you know, big international five, six thousand person events, you know, that last 10 or 11 days, you know, convention style events, um, I guess you would probably be closest to relatable. 
And I've been doing that for years. Like just the, the massive size of it and all these people being interested in it. And everybody has specific roles that they have to master. It's not like just given like, you know what, today, Alex, I'm going to be a podcaster. Yeah. No one told me I, I'm declared. I can easily do that. But you have to be recognized. And for that, you have to train and practice. And that's really cool. I, I admire that a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of work. People put an, an immense amount of dedication into these crafts. And, and it's so vast. I mean, you could name anything about the Middle Ages and there's somebody out there that's studying and honing their craft and teaching others how to do it. I mean, that's the other thing that makes it such a large community is that it's really no fun to be the only one who knows how to do what you do. It, I mean, if you could be admired for it and maybe if that's the part that's the most exciting, then cool. But everybody wants to, you know, chatter about their hobby. That's why this podcast is so great. Everybody wants to be able to say, here's this amazing thing that I do. And it could be the nerdiest thing in the world, but somebody else out there in the world is going to enjoy it too. And to be able to kind of exchange that information and pass on those skills is pretty incredible. Yeah. And this, you're coming on here and you're sharing with the world. So this is, this is my evil plan from all along. Yes. <laughs> yes. Actually, another question I had to ask or have to ask is that so to become a master, let's say for cooking, yeah, I'm sure you would have to recreate the food from that time. Do you find it hard to find, let's say, tools to recreate the same conditions that they had? Or do you use more modern day tools? It's kind of a hybrid. So that's a great question. Interesting enough, what is the other thing that people can study? The tool making piece of that. So I've seen everything. I am not as dedicated to my the tool element as I am the... Um, production of the food itself. But I know people who will go to like that big event that I was talking about. That's one of the ones that I've, I've thrown a couple of times, a giant outdoor event. And I've seen friends who will build earthen ovens in the moment to make bread from scratch that they're grinding. You know, And I mean, they're creating the tools as they go. And that's incredible to me. Me, I'm, I just want my bread to taste amazing. So I'm probably <laughs> going to cook that in advance at home using the techniques or using as close as I can to the ingredients and that kind of thing. So there's still even, even the hobbies within the hobby are so particular and also vast. And um, I'm sure back then they also had blacksmiths. Did you ever have, or do you have anything made personally for you and you've used? I have not, although um, my significant other has gone to a blacksmithing class to learn how to just definitely have a bottle opener. <laughs> hey, yo, it, it comes in handy. <laughs> it absolutely comes in handy a lot. Uh, yeah, so I mean, people do learn, and there are there are blacksmiths in our organization who I feel very confident. If I wished, I could, you know, purchase or I could call them and and barter or I could. Um, talk about that where they might be able to make something for me. I have a lot of blacksmith friends, actually. Hmm, I should maybe have some custom, like a custom pan made. I never thought about that. That would be fun. Well, interesting you say that because a few episodes ago, I had somebody, actually one who likes to study history. And the last episode, a couple episodes ago, somebody who is a blacksmith and bladesmith or swordsmith. Oh, but they're in the organization. That would be funny. And it might be. Well, maybe I'll connect you guys together because I think he he lives in either was it the UK or US. I can't remember which one, but, you know, connecting people together is what I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, we have a lot of great bladesmiths. We have a lot of um, there's are we allowed to talk about TV shows on this? You could do whatever you want. It's your episode. So there's a show called A Forged in Fire that, of course, we're addicted to. And it's funny to us how how frequently there are people from our organization who are on that show. Um, and I think it's just people you know, find these 
these crafts, find these things that your your normal day to day walking down the street, you wouldn't think, hmm, you know what? I think I'm going to be a blacksmith. But you go to this event and you see someone just pounding away on a, a forge, and it's it's exciting and it's different. And and there's, I think sometimes I not to be too cheesy about it, but in a way, sometimes I wonder if we have a lot of some like genetic memory or something that just kind of pulls at us when it comes to some of these skills that are so outside of our normal scope, but there's something that tells this person that they want to hammer hot metal, you know, and that's just a part of becomes a part of who they are. And then it's just like a way to connect to the past. And it's a pretty cool experience. I'd love to see it one day. Like I was talking to the, my, my, I call him my friend because we're friends now, the blacksmith. And he was just talking about, it. I'm like, Oh, cool. And he asked me, what would be the first thing you'd make? I said, Oh, well maybe a mic stand for my podcast. I don't know. I just, <laughs> Right. Yeah, the possibilities are endless. It's just your imagination is your only limit when it comes to creating stuff. And actually speaking about imagination and just creating, have you ever created any outfits? Oh, yeah. Yeah, tons. So one of the things about our organization that is a requirement is that you try to dress as close as you are able within your means um, and, and skill to dress in a medieval fashion. And that's from head to toe. So we have people who will you know, come and they like our <laughs> early years, you know, it was everything from I'm going to make a toga out of a sheet because this is what I have available to me to people who are just top to bottom, completely historically accurate, full on Elizabethan with the giant collars and the pointed buckled shoes and the handcrafted rings. And I mean, you literally have everything in between that scope. So when I go out to an event, whether it's a day, whether it's a week, yeah, I'm in essentially as medieval a garb as I can muster from beginning to end. And I am not a master seamstress by any stretch. I have years of experience with it and I can muddle my way through and I can make some pretty things. My favorites are always the other pretty things that people have made for me that are better at it than I am. <laughs> and actually, speaking of which, do you prefer doing this by yourself? Not just, let's say, uh, the recreation of, cre- sorry, recreations of the outfits, but the baking, the cooking. Do you prefer doing that alone or with other people? So it's like a combined thing, like creating that community aspect. It really depends on what I'm doing it for. So if I'm entering in a competition, for example, so let's say we're having, like I entered a few years ago, a banana bread competition, which is actually probably not very historically accurate, but um, bananas probably weren't a big part of anybody's diet, but it was just for fun. And it was while we were at the camping event. and. That is something that I, you know, did myself because it was a single entry, but I've done huge fees for people as well. And those are, then you can't do that by yourself. So you're essentially running a restaurant for a few hours for maybe 150 people. You need people that are with you to help cook, to help clean, to help serve, to help do all of these things. So that's always one of my favorite experiences. It's exhausting. It's physically very, very taxing. Um, to do that. If anybody has ever tried to just, hmm, I think I'll run a restaurant for a day. It's it's not easy to do. And the community of it is incredible. The bonding is really special. And it's nice because then oftentimes, you know, we'll trade off like this group has helped me put on a feast. And then when they're putting on a feast, I can be a part of their staff, whether that's you know, me prepping food for them or serving or expediting and making sure that um, the food is getting to people and everybody just kind of rotates through. And so again, you create a community within the community, right? And so now you have all the food lovers that are working together within this medieval community. 
I love how you said that you create a community within the community. In my mind, I'm like, there's a community within the community, and then there's a mutiny to destroy the other community. Yes. <laughs> we actually do have, we'll have a contest sometimes, and that gets into some of the martial arts aspects of it, which I'm sure that we'll probably talk about later. But I mean, there is a full range, and warfare was certainly a part of that too. So the cooking is just the nicest, sweetest, nicest you know, probably most communal element, but there's certainly um, the larger scale competitive fun side of that too. And I could be wrong, but I would imagine there's also some home brewers there as well and home winemakers as well, right? Or do they buy like just like bottles of wine at uh, your local grocery store and your Bud Light or Corona beer? <laughs> Both. We have all the above. So my typically when we <clears throat> when we show up to the event, the week-long event, we have, you know, all of our food and stuff kind of inside our tent. And then outside, we almost always have like a big wooden ice chest where we keep all of our drinks. And what's funny to us is that anybody, you know, a lot of our friends are able to come by and grab stuff. And then people will also leave stuff. And so we'll have everything in there by the end of the week, you know, when it comes to like our last night kind of survivor party, we'll have everything from stuff that we bought that was store bought, like rare stuff that people brought from other areas that you can't find here in Phoenix, which is where we live, and stuff that people made. And we'll just crack it all and drink it and have a really good time. And I have a friend who started brewing in the organization. Um, I want to say, I want to say he's been brewing about 10 years. And then I'm probably underestimating the time, but I want to say about five years ago, he actually ended up opening um, a pub, Lonesome Valley Brewery in Prescott Valley. And he's getting ready to open his second location. So, I mean, this hobby took him from hmm, you know, I really like beer to I'm going to kind of make my own beer to leaving corporate America and launching, you know, his own businesses. That is so cool. I love how the hobby was a gateway to figure out what was his other passion and how he turned it into something he loves. That's so cool. Yeah. And nobody would grow up thinking that, right? Like, who's going to grow up thinking, I'm going to be a brewer? <laughs> like, you know, it's just not, it's not a career that you think of anymore. Yeah. And I didn't grow up thinking I was going to talk into a mic. To awesome right? people. <laughs> yeah. This is so cool. I'm learning so much right now. This is really cool. I have so many questions that I'm going away from all the questions I wrote down because I have wrote <laughs> questions. No, no, it's perfect because the questions I wrote down were mostly regard to LARPing. And I, these questions I have right now are better suited for this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Your LARPing questions will probably still apply because all those elements are still probably there. There's just no, you know, contest that I'm going to go win. And but so you're mentioning the martial arts aspect as well. Did you ever partake in that or did you learn? I did. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the the fighting, as we call it, there's a there's a few different levels. We have the earlier period, you know, kind of warfare, grand melee type fighting with full armor, rattan weapons that are weighted very similarly to a sword. And then we have that later period style, which is more what you would probably consider looks like fencing. It's actually called rapier and the, the weapons are slightly different and the techniques are are pretty vast in there. And it's much more probably a technique driven. Um, the heavy weapons is also technique driven, but is much more brutal, I guess I would say, you know, where there's like it, the weight of the weapon and the damage that you're going to take from the weapon are, are a little more significant. It's And both of those are very visually stimulating, like depending if you've never seen it, certainly both of those are going to draw your eye. The one that I have tried, well, I have done rapier here and there. The one that I spent some time doing was the heavy weapons part. Um, I haven't done it for a very, very, very long time, but I did for a little while back in the 90s. Um, trying my hand at it. I enjoyed it and I kind of regret not doing it anymore. It's just that there was only room for so many passions, I guess, in my life. And I, 
I kind of had to pick my poison. And within that same realm of like, let's call it combat, have you ever tried jousting? I have not. And while I have ridden and I've done equestrian, jousting itself is a very specific and potentially dangerous skill. And so our organization generally doesn't permit jousting in the way that you imagine it. There would be equestrian events where, you know, you might ride and use a lance type um, object to, you know, pick up rings as you're riding and things like that. But for two riders to run against each other puts both the riders and the, and the horses at, at a risk that we wouldn't really take on. So not not a lot of that. Yeah, it's better to be safe than sorry, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to you learning more about medieval recreation or just the medieval age, uh, do you ever find, let's say, two different types of, let's say, articles, books, other people that contradict each other? And how do you go through to try to figure out what is the truth? All the time. Um, and I think that the real deal is that generally they're they're probably both true. So I think that when you're when you're reading about a historic experience, and it's interesting to me that I kind of, hmm, this is a new epiphany for me. I just realized that I apply this to my modern day politics and decisions as well. I realized that, you know, 500 years ago, if you're looking at what was the experience of two different people in two different areas, what they say about the way something is done or why they've done something is really coming from their perspective. So you've got somebody who was in France and you have someone who was in England 500 years ago. And the story they tell about the very same craft or the same battle or the same politics, they're going to be completely different. They're both true. You know what I mean? And so I think you just kind of have to make your choices then about what resonates with you or or which experience you want to go ahead and really explore. Um, also, there's there's regional differences, again, with my history, you know, the stuff that I study, which, you know, frequently is around food. Um, what people had around them was very different. And so this person made bread this way. This person made bread that way. Both of those techniques are completely accurate. Both of them are historically correct, for lack of a better word, you know, but they're different. And they're going to come up with a different product and, and one is not necessarily better than the other. To a certain degree, history can be pretty subjective. That's kind of weird saying that, but everybody has their own experience with history. And actually speaking about all those times, well, this is the topic of the episode, but do you own any artifacts from that era? I have a few. I have mostly, um, yeah, and mostly, you know, people may not realize how common some of this stuff is. It's actually pretty easy to get things like coins from um, historic eras. And I've, I've had some gifts like that, uh, little stuff there, not always super expensive or, you know, crazy valuable just because they're old. But uh, yeah, so I have a few little odds and ends here and there. And, and then I have a lot of recreated pieces that are like that, um, little pieces, you know, whether it's a blade or whether it's plates and cups and the like. I have a lot of you know, kind of like medieval style swag, I guess you would say, <laughs> um, that people have made, you know, jewelry and, and uh, that type of thing, certainly. So on that note, is there anything you really want? Oh, my God. Well, you know, it's funny, I, w mentioning the people who are like perfectly period from head to toe. I think in the back of my mind, that's always been kind of a little bit of a goal of mine. The thing is, is I just I don't have I'm not as motivated as some of these people. Like I still want to go and really just enjoy my time and and have my social experience and and do the administrative things I love. I would love probably at some point to have a perfectly period head to toe outfit. All right. So people listening, you know, if Nichelle wants it, you got to give it to her. 
this, <laughs> bring, this, bring it on. Just bring it on. I, I, she's not going to say no, guaranteed. <laughs> I will. I will cook you dinner at home. I promise. Ooh. Okay, so I'm going to have to go on the hunt now to find that because you know, yeah, a, a free dinner, <laughs> a free medieval style dinner too, which. Some people are really scared of medieval food, but I promise it's not crazy. I would love to give it a try. I, I like trying new things. Ro- roast chicken is roast chicken, man. Like, it's just not that we haven't changed that much. Yeah, yeah. It's edible. The humanity survived since then. So, uh, yeah, yeah. We, we, can, we can make it work. Yeah, absolutely. But we do. We barter sometimes. It's kind of funny that you say that because there are people who have, I've, you know, have made things for me and I've done like scrolls for them or you know, a, a meal for them or something like that, or even sewn or done embroidery for them. There's a, a group that I'm in that we, we, um, it's lovingly called the Elizabethan sweatshop that a couple of friends of mine do. And they run it so that the people who aren't necessarily, um, able to kind of make their own stuff from head to toe, everybody just does little pieces and parts and puts an outfit together. And then everybody kind of gets in a rotation where eventually you get an outfit as well. And so it's a really great way to kind of expand, the clothing to the community in a way that um, at a level that people might not be able to accomplish on their own. Actually, on that note, is there anything that is or something that is really hard to recreate due to, let's say, the limitation of the tools that yeah, you have or just it's the actual fabric or not fabric, but anything the actual object does not exist anymore? Is there anything that's just really hard to recreate to just have the authentic medieval experience? I think armor is probably would would go into that with the greatest challenge. And we have a lot of amazing armors also built through the organization, right? How many people are armor makers in this day and age? But like my friend Dave, he runs uh, called Asir Metalworks. And he's another guy that came into the SCA not making armor, not doing metalwork, and now runs his own business that's you know exclusively armor making. And I think it's one of those where if, if you come into the organization and you want to participate, you're going to need a helmet. You can't just go into your backyard generally and find pieces and parts, you know, that you can cram together and make a helmet from. These require really specific safety regulatory pieces. You know, the welds are really specific. The thickness of the metal is really specific. The visibility, the ability to breathe, the way it fits, all of that is really a pretty big and particular deal. And so I would say that's probably the biggest, biggest, if I had to pick one item in the organization that is the most critical and most difficult to just recreate on the spot, it's going to be a helmet. And also when you, did you ever actually take the time to learn the way they spoke and just the dialogue and the language itself? Not so much, partially because I think it's really difficult to know whether or not anybody's right. You know, it's not like there's any recordings. So we can kind of look at how language has evolved over time. You know, there are people who have studied Middle English, for example, and they can speak it because, it, you know, in some oral tradition, it's been handed down. But I would guess that even if you, like you said, you said you're French, right? You speak French? Correct. And so the language that you're speaking now, it's probably somewhat ancient, but I would bet you sound completely different than the people who were speaking French 500 years ago. No, you're absolutely right. Language changes a lot. And and like it's even, I wouldn't say it's worse, but it, it changes within communities as well. Because I would imagine in medieval age, you would have... The royals would speak different from the uh, pilgrims or different from the travelers. And it's right. Level of education, your exposure to other cultures, you know, just vocabulary in general, that type of thing. Yeah. So I think that there are I'm certain of it. There are people who have really studied the linguistics. That's probably somebody's jam out there. In fact, I know there are people who that's their jam and have 
you know, really kind of worked in that field to learn that type of thing. That's a, I'm not good at it. Like I, I try to like in our podcast, we try to read our books. Like we read blurbs of things and like, I can't even come up with a funny accent. So the (laughs) idea of doing something accurately and historically correct, just yeah, that's out the window for me. Well, you have other things that you've mastered, so you don't have to master the whole aspect. So I I get it. It's, it's It's a lot to take in. And speaking about taking all that in, what would you say is the best part about learning about medieval recreation? The best part is that you've got something that just is unique to yourself. You're, you're, you're not necessarily doing something that your neighbors are doing. There's no trend for it. Although we have, you know, trends that will occur within our organization because somebody will learn something new and everybody gets excited about it and then everybody has to try their hand at it. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, it'll sweep across the globe, this particular type of outfit, or there's a new find, you know, where, oh, some, you know, ice melted and exposed a new grave. And now there's all these things that we pulled out of the grave that nobody had ever seen before. And, and so that's kind of cool. And I also think that the other thing that I think might be the coolest part is not to be overblown because we're not always accurate or correct, but I think for the most part, people like us are keeping those ancient cultures alive. We're keeping them present and keeping with a tradition of teaching our children or maybe, you know, teaching future generations. You know, blacksmithing may have died in an age of industrialism, right? And people don't need to hammer out a blade these days necessarily there are machines that can do these things but people are doing it and it keeps those skills alive no no i completely agree with you and it's also kind of like a, a surreal experience to try to figure out how people live back then it's, it's a really cool experience it is and for you what was your biggest challenge when you first started your hobby uh probably learning how to walk but <laughs> i i was born in, you know i was pretty young um but <laughs> when i started really kind of doing it on my own where, where, you know, you hit that period, especially when I was a teenager, kind of hit that place where I was like, this is my parents' hobby. And I don't know that I want it to be my hobby. You know, what do I want to do? And I would go out and kind of learn other things. And, and then I realized I had to find kind of my place. And I did enjoy the hobby, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do um, for myself. And I would say that the biggest challenge was honestly trying to dial it in. You know, you you join something like this and you want to do, you know, we kind of have a joke about doing all the things because there's so much, you know, even just learning to do calligraphy and illumination. Do I want to take it so far that I'm learning how to make my own inks? Yeah. You know, do I want to take it so far that I'm learning how to make my own paper? Yeah. Like I want to learn everything about it. But if I want to accomplish the mission, learning how to say, you know what, I can learn how to do all those things, but those are also really specialized skills. And what I really want to learn how to do is, you know, make pretty letters on this document and paint it and have it given out as a gift to someone who's received an award in the organization, for example. And so I spend less time learning how to do those things and more time just learning how to do the actual process itself. So, so learning to dial it in so you can get things done I guess that's the challenge. And uh, for you, what, what? Sorry, what is your current biggest challenge? Probably time and energy. Honestly, um, my biggest challenge is I've I've been in the organization for a really long time, and like I said, I I do the administrative stuff a lot. And it, you know, it's one of those that you know, if you can, you do, and if you if something is needed for the organization, you're dedicated to the organization. That's where you're going to put your energy. My skills are such and my knowledge is such that I can help people organize and I can help with that. 
but it pulls at me. And and my challenge personally is that I really kind of want to do the creative stuff. And I find myself not having time because I'm so bogged down in the administrative pieces. So that's a little bit of a challenge for me to try and stay motivated. And, you know, there's part of me that wants to like, just kind of quit doing anything administrative for a couple of years and just engage myself, immerse myself in the arts. Then I kind of don't get to. Well, hopefully, you know, you get to find a balance and find something that makes you happy. It looks like you you know what you want at this point. And uh, yeah, it's all about time. The medieval times, you know, a long time ago. So there's a lot to, to just take in. Mm-hmm. And this is an odd question, but has medieval recreation, not recreation, rec, uh, I can't even say the word, re- recreation, recreation, there it is, ever stressed you out? I'm going to go with a very big yes on that. <laughs> um, and part of that is because it also becomes... You know, especially on that administrative end, it becomes a really huge obligation and it's a little easy to get burned out. Um, The big event that I um, organized a few years ago, for example, I kind of was a deputy for, you know, a year to and then, you know, did it with a, a team the next two years. And now I'm in a position of supporting and guiding them. And so you know, you, my medieval experience now has been limited to kind of the modern, really administrative experience for for three or four years, making sure other people have somewhere to go and have a good time and making sure that the event happens. That's not the same as running around and kind of playing happy, fun time and, and getting to be, you know, you know, just hanging out with my friends or painting stuff or cooking stuff or watching the fighting. It's you know, having a meeting at, you know, six o'clock in the morning and making sure that everything's okay. And so it it can get a little bit stressful in that regard. And then also, like I mentioned earlier, you know, my family and I will will be talking about a change. There's there are sometimes changes that I think fundamentally change how we do things or why we do things, whether it's locally or whether it's, you know, as an organization. And that can be very stressful because sometimes you feel like the things that you've worked so hard to build over the years degrade a little bit because someone new that has joined it, this tradition or ritual or whatever isn't important to them and they don't understand it. They don't understand what it's honoring for us. And so they'll kind of be like, well, that's dumb. So let's just quit doing that. And then you're like, what? What? This is a thing that's been really important to me for 30 years and you just poo-pooed it. Um, and that kind of stuff can get pretty stressful. And people will laugh about the people who hold on to tradition and ritual. But then I kind of laugh because I'm like, uh, hello, you just welcomed him. You just joined a medieval recreation society. We're going to celebrate history, but not our own history and how where we came from and how we built. So that that can be a little bit tiresome, kind of banging your head against a wall and trying to explain why it can or should be important the way you do the things you do as an organization. It's kind of ironic how it's a medieval re- recreation, but they're like, let's change it. It's it's boring. It's outplays. Like, yes. well, this is the history. Yeah. This is we're recreating. The definition this is what of recreating. We're doing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, well, that's not relevant anymore. I'm like, none of this <laughs> is relevant anymore. <laughs> oh, the irony is strong in that one. <laughs> it is. It is very strong. And now for a very important question, what are some misconceptions who, uh, sorry, what are some misconceptions about people who do medieval recreation? Well, I want to pretend that it's a misconception that we're all a bunch of nerds or geeks, but I have to say, I think we're a bunch of nerds and geeks. (laughs) But I think that nerds and geeks, you know, I think that that's really dependent. I think any hobby you can nerd out on or you can geek out on, right? So it doesn't really matter what it is. Ours in particular, it's history. And so you kind of picture this 
you know, someone with the, you know, tape on their glasses constantly with their face on a book and reading. And I think that that's used to actually be more true than it is now. I think that's a little bit more of a a myth at this point, because now what you've got is a lot of people who come from like a gaming culture, you know, where they play D&D and things like that. And then they see a, you know, or they loved medieval movies or whatever. It's a lot less about the reading. I think that also, this is going to sound weird. I think also it's a myth that people really love the medieval aspect. Sometimes I think it's really just about a social connection or a personal connection or that connection with one craft or activity. And I think that that doesn't necessarily mean people are history buffs. And so joining an organization like this, you kind of think, oh my gosh, you know all this history, you must love history. And they're kind of people who are like, man, I don't know, I failed history. I just like coming out here and fighting, you know, and that's okay. There's room for that. But the myth to me would be that you could walk up to an event like this and assume that everybody that's there is really familiar with medieval history. I think most of them probably actually would not be. Well, it's kind of like this right now where I have no knowledge whatsoever, but we can still hold up a conversation and be engaged in this moment. And I'm kind of a nerd too. Like I love learning about new things and trying new things. I do D&D as well. I I like learning. And so this is why we're connecting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And for you, do you want to present this hobby to the world or use it more as an escape from reality? I use it more as an escape. So that's a really good question. And I think that's one of the things that um, we are constantly struggling with that balance as well. We want our organization to survive. We want our organization to grow so that it's always around for us, right? For those of us who enjoy it. At the same time, it feels kind of private and you don't want to be gawked at and you don't want people... It's not a you know, we kind of joke around about it's not a spectator sport. It's I'm not dressed up so that you can see me dressing up. I'm dressed up because I wanted to learn how to make that kind of outfit. And I wanted to celebrate that culture. And that is not necessarily something that I want the guy down the street to just watch me do. So it's a little bit of both, right? And but but at the same time, I want that guy to watch if he's going to look at it and go, Oh, my gosh, I want to do that. And he's going to join us. So it's a really fine. It's a fine and difficult balance between sharing it and keeping it private. It's kind of like, look at me, but don't look at me. Just keep my eye open. (laughs) Just you can look at me for a second and then you have to turn away. Yeah, exactly. Blink, just blink and then cl- keep your eyes closed <laughs> and then keep one eye open. Yeah, yeah, no. But I understand it's the idea that you want to show it to the world, but it's you also want to keep it for yourself, which is completely understandable. And right now you're doing the showing part, but with your voice. It's it's like our voice and tell. Yes, <laughs> I like that. Voice and tell. <laughs> Imagine if they had that in school where you just go behind like a giant cardboard piece and you just, today on my voice and tell. I had a nice day instead of a show and tell. (laughs) You know what, though? How many people would have spoken? Because you remember when we were kids and like you'd have a show and tell day and people would freeze because public speaking is this giant fear and how much we could have heard about that we didn't because this kid was terrified. Now, maybe if they were behind a screen, we would have heard all about this cool thing and would have known more. Maybe would have been better educated. Well, that's kind of like the principle of this podcast where... People, I don't do video, I just do audio and people can choose to call themselves however they want. I've had people who made up names and never revealed their identity. They just came on to share their hobby and they said their piece and that was perfectly fine with me because it was about the sharing aspect. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And you're doing a wonderful job so far (laughs) answering all my silly questions. No, these are good questions. These are really good questions. And speaking of which, do you have any word of advice for anybody who might be interested in this hobby? I do. 
whenever somebody new joins and they always kind of ask like, where do I start? How do I start? How do I get super involved? And I'm, I'm kind of different. There are some people who are like, oh, the first thing you want to do is connect to something administrative, get involved with that or join a group. There's groups called households, right? Where these are or like guilt, you'd probably think of them as like a guild, but in our organization, they're more like a household where there are a group of people who camp together and study maybe similar cultures or they have a common interest. And to me, I feel like if you're going to stick around, if there's going to be longevity, it's like any other relationship. You, you don't want to just get married in your first 30 days, right? You don't want to just get to, you know, see something that you like and immediately connect to that and invest all of your time and energy and money into that. The organization, even just like we talked about, or any organization like this, because there are more out there, the opportunities are vast. They're they're somewhat limitless. And so before you really just grasp onto one thing and become connected to that, look at all of it. Learn to enjoy it just for its own sake. Learn to walk through it without being connected to anyone or anything so that you can observe and say, here are all these things that I have experienced and now I'm falling in love with it because it's so easy to be like, Ooh, shiny. I want to do this. And then Ooh, shiny. I want to do that. Ooh, shiny. I want to do that. And then next thing you know, you're buried in all of these hobbies, all these crafts, all this expense, all this obligation, and you don't have room to breathe and you stop enjoying it. It kind of reminds me of, I think the show is called 90 day fiance or something like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Take your time. You don't need to get married in 90 days. (laughs) You don't, you don't. It's like anything else. You know, if you sign up for a job where you're getting paid, that's one thing. You're Maybe you're going to stick around for a long time. But if you look at a company, once you join a company, right, especially if it's a big company, you signed up for this job. But over time, you see a thousand other jobs that you didn't even know existed or were possible. And you may look at something and go, oh, my God, I didn't even know that was something I could do. I kind of want to do that. And then you're sitting there kicking yourself because you're stuck in this job. You know what I mean? And it's it's the same thing. So you definitely don't want to do that with your personal time and energy and money and that kind of thing. Yeah, it'd be kind of weird if you're forcing yourself to stay within one hobby. It's like, I'm in, I'm in too deep. But yeah, hobby should be enjoyable. It's like one of the only things where you're actually completely free to change and take your time with. It's literally time for your hobby. Ooh, pun intended. It is exactly that. <laughs> yes, time for your hobby is exactly that. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's absolutely true. I couldn't agree more. And uh, so we talked about this at the beginning of the episode, but I'll ask it again here. Do you have any social media links like Instagram, Twitter, or websites, or even projects you're working on so people can come show you some love and support? Um, only the Rotten Romance podcast. I'm, I'm not a representative of our medieval club or organization, and I wouldn't feel very comfortable sharing it. It's easy to look up these clubs, though. If you just look up like medieval hobby, medieval recreation, you're going to find our group and a lot of other groups and dig right in, you know, and and find the ones that suit you play around in the websites, play around in, you know, how to sword fight. Look at that. You know what I mean? Like there's are questions you can ask Google and you will see a lot of opportunity there and locally too. And a very good community to do that is to go look on Reddit. Oh yeah. Reddit, that, that's the front page of the internet, man. You can find anything there. That's how we found each other. It is. <laughs> it is. That's right. And now for the last question, the one. Dun, dun, dun. To, yeah, to rule them on. We need like a little soundtrack to this. <laughs> one question to rule them all. Did you just say that? Yeah. <laughs> it's probably the one that rules none of them. That's the question. <laughs> Do you have any questions for me about medieval recreation? You know what? That's funny. I guess I would like if 
if you thought about the Middle Ages, any era, any place, kind of no restrictions, if you could just spend a day in somewhere in medieval history, what would you want to experience? What would you want to see or where would you want to be? I would, it sounds, I guess it sounds really dangerous, but I would love to see the exploration aspect, whether it's on sea or on land, just discovering. Cause nice. So you'd be a pirate. (laughs) Is that medieval? I don't even know if that's, (laughs) but yeah, like I wouldn't try to like go ruin cities and towns, but I mean like just like the messenger kind of aspect, I think is it Marco Polo kind of idea. Yeah. The the Silk Road with Marco Polo, or you got like, you know, Vespucci and, and Columbus and the late 1400s are cruising around and you got, there's, you know, Drake running around in the what 1600s. There, there was all kinds of exploration. Yeah, I do definitely the exploration, but less violent. Absolutely, <laughs> I'm not the violent type. So, uh, yeah, there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you so much, Michelle, for just coming on and just teaching me more about this. I'm sorry I went off track with the questions that I didn't write down. These hopefully I did well. I represented myself. No, for... these were the questions that I have never been asked. <laughs> I've been in this hobby my whole life. And this is, these are really great questions. Typically, the press comes right at us with not these questions. So this was great. Well, I'm glad I really had a great time. And I honestly cannot wait to share this with the world. So if you guys would like to learn more about Nichelle, you can go check out her podcast. I'll put that in the description below. So it'll be clickable, follow, show some love, and you have to leave a beautiful comment and call them beautiful, correct? Yes. You have to tell us we're pretty. If tell us we're pretty. You are pretty. You can beautiful is better. Gorgeous. <laughs> splendid. Uh, majestic. Yes. All the adjectives. <laughs> all, all the adjectives put into one. Majestic, beautiful, splendid. Yes. All one word. Yes. <laughs> And if you'd like to be on my podcast or have any questions at all, you could send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. And of course, if you like the podcast, leave a review. I, I appreciate those. Whether it's negative or positive, anything helps. And if you want to show some more support, I sell merchandise on Redbubble, which a bunch of Time For Your Hobby logo on a bunch of random things you don't need, but it's there. And also, if you want to become a patron, that's also there as well. All optional. You don't need to do it. Uh... Yeah, other than that, listen to some episodes, listen to some awesome people like Nichelle, learn more about medieval recreation, and maybe get into the hobby. You never know, right? So once again, thank you so much, Nichelle. Thank you. Have a great day. So until the next episode, make some time for your hobby. Take care.